morning, my name's Katrina, and it's a delight to serve you for the last and final time as an associate pastor here by opening the scriptures with you. Well, life, I think, I don't know about you, has a habit of defying our expectations. We grow up, we get a job, we enter into the routine of mornings, of daily work, of evening rituals. We manage our diaries and our inboxes and our bank accounts and our bills and a billion other things. And we have aspirations, or at least we have intentions, and I think that most of the time, things go pretty well according to plan. On most days of most weeks, most of the time, things turn out pretty much as we expect. That is, until they don't until something happens. Now, often we don't see it coming and we may not fully understand what's happening at at the time, but there comes these moments in life, doesn't there, when we fall to our knees. These rhythms get interrupted or turned upside down or they simply spin off in a new direction. We often don't see it coming. Sometimes we don't even understand what it might mean. There are moments when it brings great grief and others when it brings profound joy. And sometimes it's difficult to know exactly which one of those two it's going to be. The story of Advent is punctuated with so many moments precisely like this. People and angels keep appearing from absolutely nowhere. There's miracle followed by unexpected situations that just frankly stretch our rational minds to breaking points. And while most of our eyes are focused on scenes like the one behind me, cosy wooden stables filled with straw and cute animals, cherub-like babies and newly minted parents, while we want to focus most of our attention on the moment of the birth, it appears that the Bible isn't actually as interested in that as we seem to be. It provides scant detail, just one verse in the whole of the New Testament about the birth. In Luke chapter 2, verse 7, we read, And she, Mary, gave birth to a firstborn son and wrapped him in a band of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. It's from this verse, this one verse in the whole of the New Testament that we have spun and woven together the colourful Christmas story, centred around the nativity. And we like this, this story so much that we've embellished it with characters that don't actually appear in the Bible, like the innkeeper. And while it's a beautiful story, it really is, the Bible actually points us in a different direction. Through the foretelling of the birth of John the Baptist, through the visit of the angel Gabriel to Mary, and then Mary's visit to Elizabeth, and Zachariah's prophecy, and Mary's song, and the announcement of the shepherds, what strikes me about the way that the Bible, in particular Luke, is telling us the story, is that the emphasis isn't on information, the emphasis is on transformation how the story transforms all of the people that are a part of it, how the story leaves absolutely no one unchanged. Which makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? I mean, if 
if this story doesn't transform the people who are actually in it, how can we expect a story to transform us, to transform anything? One of the key people that gets transformed in the story, of course, is Mary. When the angel Gabriel appears, she's just a girl. She's just a girl caught between the awakening of puberty and the mysterious responsibilities of marriage. What does she know? Not much. How can she? She's never been anywhere. She's never done anything. Everything she's ever known has unfolded less than a day's walk away from the very house that she was born in. She's just a girl like all the other girls that are in her village, destined to marry a boy that her father will choose and to eke out the rest of her life on a single plot of land. If she is lucky, her husband will treat her well and she will bear children and they will have enough food to feed their family. And if she is not, life will be extremely bitter and hard. She's just a girl on the very brink of her life when out of nowhere the archangel Gabriel shows up. And now we know that Gabriel must have been sent by God because if we were the ones in charge of deciding who would be the mother of Jesus, Mary's name would have never even made it to our shortlist. I mean, she's got no experience, no credentials. She's the epitome of a nobody. And it's just not that she's invisible. I mean, think about it. Mary is a risk. Who she is puts this baby at risk, at risk of being rejected um, from the very beginning by a, a fiancé who knows this isn't his kid, by a family who is so deeply ashamed by their unwed pregnant daughter, by the community that she lives in who are unwilling to swallow some tall tale that seeks to transform sexual immorality into some immaculate conception. So we know that Gabriel must have been sent by God because you and I, we would have directed Gabriel to a big house, a big house that has as many bathrooms as it does bedrooms, enough land around it to have a pool out the back, we would have sent him to a really nice-looking couple that already had two kids, so they were experienced. People who lived in the same school zone as Donvale Christian College. <laughs> People who had the economic and the social resources to give God's son the very best. I mean, doesn't God's son deserve the best? And this couple, my goodness, they would have raised this boy so beautifully. They would have ferried him between rowing, and band practice in their beautiful white Tesla. <laughs> they would have got him a tutor to help him with advanced maths and English lit. They would have limited his screen time and made sure that he didn't fall in with the wrong crowd. They'd insist that they actually had family meals, like, around a table, and they would have made sure that he did all of his chores and never spoke back. You see, placing the Son of God in their hands would have been no risk at all. It's so hard for us to wrap around our heads that God entrusts Jesus to a pregnant teenager from a one-pub town in the middle of nowhere rather than to nice people like us. 
I wonder why God would do that. Well, if you think it's hard for us to get our heads wrapped around, I wonder how difficult it would have been for Mary. Gabriel meets Mary and enthusiastically tells her how she's found favour with God and isn't that wonderful and she's going to have a holy child. And then Gabriel tells her how this holy child is going to come to her. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The idea of the Holy Spirit coming upon Mary, I think, is the part that we remember. You know, Jesus conceived of the Spirit. It's also the part of the story that feels really familiar to us, almost understandable, because we too, in moments of worship, understand what it is for the weight, for the heat of the Holy Spirit to come us, come upon us, pressing on our chest, bringing something to mind that we couldn't possibly have thought by ourselves sending us weak at the knees with love and adoration. But the power of the Most High overshadowing her, I don't think that's an idea that we're very familiar with, less familiar. But actually we find it in the scriptures, in just a handful of places. God overshadows Jesus and the disciples when they're standing on the Mount of Transfiguration as he affirms that this is my son, listen to him. But this overshadowing is also something that goes way back, way back to Moses as he stood on another mountain, the Mount of Sinai, as God appeared in a cloud and overshadowed Moses. And the transformation that Mary undergoes is this radical one from beginning by being deeply troubled on one hand to this extraordinary statement in verse 38. As she responds to Gabrielle's message, she says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be as you have said. From deeply troubled to affirming in the depths of herself, may it be as you have said, for I am the Lord's servant. It's such a definitive, such a bold statement. One Mary is just a one minute Mary is just a girl tr- trembling. I think probably in front of this archangel, and the next she is a young woman with a spine of steel, giving herself fully and completely to a task that no other person in the history of humanity will be asked to undertake. This story isn't just a story about the circumstances surrounding the birth of Jesus. It's a story about transformation. Those moments in our lives when the entire trajectory of our lives shift. Mary's encounter with Gabriel is a profound interruption. An out-of-the-box, out-of-the-blue experience that radically disrupts who Mary thinks she is. Because Gabriel, in that moment, gives to her this extraordinary vision of who she could be. Not just Mary, meek and mild, but Mary, mother of God. Who could wrap your head around that? And alongside this extraordinary vision of who she will become is a promise and the power to move towards that promise through the Spirit this extraordinary vision of reality um, that God will walk with her as she walks towards this new identity, towards this calling that God is giving to her.
And while that might make for a bit of a neat explanation after the fact, I can't help but think that the reality is that just like us, Mary had every reason to doubt in that moment. To doubt that what she'd even experienced was real. Like, am I really sure? Did I just see an angel? To doubt that she was favoured by God. To doubt that things would even turn out like Gabriel described. But most of all, to doubt that her life, her tiny, small, insignificant life, was worthy of God's attention at all. That she was worthy of being part of something that was so much bigger than who she was. I'm not sure how much of Gabriel's message about who Jesus would be, Mary actually took in that day. How could she? But there is one thing that I feel confident she did take in, that this interruption was an undeniable sign that God was not only with her, but that God was at work in her life. Even though she was just a girl, she was worthy of God's attention, that her life was wrapped up in the profound goodness of God's purposes in the world. And having understood that, Mary came to see that there truly was no reason to be afraid. The other people in the story who undergo a beautiful transformation are the shepherds. We don't know their names. We know nothing of their backstory. They're just a bunch of ordinary shift workers who turn up at night like they always do. They could be you, they could be me. The strongest sources of light up until that evening they had ever seen, of course, were candles or campfires. But suddenly, the dark fabric of the night sky is rolled back and explodes with light and sound. An entire cadre of heavenly host appears. I think if I was them, I might have wondered if my life was coming to an end, if they were about to breathe their final breath. No wonder the angelic messenger first speaks these words to them. Don't be afraid. It's good news that I bring. This isn't the zombie apocalypse you were wondering would happen. I can't imagine what it must have been like for them in that field on that night to witness something so far outside of their experience, so beautiful, so terrifying, so inexplicable, inexplicable all at the same time. I mean, how do you even go back to being a shepherd of sheep after you've seen something like that? And what on earth do you tell your wife when you wake up the next morning? Once you've watched the sky explode with an army of angels, and once you know that you weren't dreaming and that you actually saw it with your own eyes, that there is a reality and a mystery beyond even what you can see, how will you ever be the same again? How will you ever go back to the life that you once knew in the same way? It's interesting that the response of the shepherds to the angel's announcement wasn't, gee, thanks for the update, lovely, so glad the baby's well, have a great night. Did you notice that the angels didn't actually tell the shepherds to go to Bethlehem in the story? They merely described what they would see if they went there. 
But after the heavenly light and sound show is over, the shepherds decide that they really want to go see this thing, that they want to see it with their own eyes and they want to go now. So they abandon their sheep and immediately set off, drawn further into this mystery, not by their understanding, but by their questions. Who is this kid? How can a baby be a saviour? And did, did those angels just say peace, that peace had come? What have, have the Romans left? Those of you who are old enough to remember what life was like before mobile phones, I know it was a long time ago now, will recall that if you really wanted to know what the precise time was, you went to the white pages. Do you remember those? And you looked up the number in the front on the cardboard for the talking clock. Remember we used to have this thing called a talking clock? And you would put your fingers in those bizarre holes and turn the phone around. And a voice, uh, a recorded voice would say, at the tone, the time will be 10.45 a.m. What I'd like us to consider this morning is that the announcement that the shepherds made on that night wasn't just a passive information exchange. They, they weren't saying to the shepherds at 5.25 a.m. this morning, a saviour was born. Their announcement actually did something inside of the shepherds. It did something to the shepherds. And what it did to them was it gave them a visceral experience of mystery that brought them to their knees and utterly overwhelmed them. Something so far beyond their experience, bigger than their imagination, something that spoke to a deep longing that they didn't even realise they had. Something that resonated as it touched a chord deep inside of them. Could that be part of what it means to be overshadowed by God? That we are embraced and enfolded into a mystery that touches the very depths of our souls and changes us forever? Something that is so beautiful and so mysterious that it defies any language we could attempt to give it. You see, we experience these moments of divine interruptions. And while we don't understand them in the sense that we can't fully explain them, what we do understand is that something has changed. That the rhythm of our lives has been interrupted or turned upside down or spun off in a new direction and things will never be the same. I wonder this morning if this experience of divine interruption in our lives, this beautiful mystery, is in fact essential to a life of deep faith. Because mystery, that sense of what lies beyond, beyond us, this experience that raises questions and makes us curious and propels us forward, seems like an awfully wonderful way to fuel and ignite a deep faith. To leave us hungry and thirsty to understand more of this mystery that has just blown the top of our heads off. I wonder if it's not what we know about God that fuels our faith, but what we don't know. You see, knowledge can leave us smugly sitting here thinking, well, I've got a rigorous and right theology. I'm all good. But the experience of being utterly overwhelmed by mystery propels us into the very arms of God.
At least that's how Mary and the shepherds experienced it. So I wonder why would we think it would be any different for us? One of the much-loved carols that the church sings at this time of year is O Holy Night. It's a carol that's placed in the setting of this evening um, as the shepherds are overwhelmed by um, this divine revelation. The lyrics, O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining, it's the night of our dear Saviour's birth. But the part of the carol that utterly punches me in the heart as we sing it is the bit that says fall on your knees. That's the part of this carol that just brings me to tears. Because I can imagine that if I was standing in that field tending those sheep that night, that that's exactly what I would have done. I would have fallen to my knees. How can you be overshadowed by the most high God and not fall to your knees in awe and wonder? How can you experience the beauty and the love and the grace of God in the depths of your soul and not fall before that God? How can you witness the dark fabric of the sky being thrown back and this amazing light and sound show, this host of angels who appears like nothing you've ever experienced and not fall down before that mystery? The Christmas story is so much more and so much better than mere information. It is transformation. Mary was just a girl, but Gabriel showed up and offered her an interruption about the undeniable reality of God in her life, how her ordinary life was wrapped up in the extraordinary purposes of an extremely good and loving God. Luke tells us the story in such a way where we can see that no one who's part of this story is left unchanged. Not Zachariah, not Elizabeth, not Mary, not Joseph, not the shepherds, not anyone that you could name. So my hope is that as you prepare to celebrate Christmas, that you will be preparing to welcome the divine interruption of God in your life. And that as you celebrate this Christmas, you might not just celebrate the birth of the baby, as wonderful as that is, but that you would celebrate the mystery of the whole of the cosmos shifting in that moment. May this mystery light up your life and your Christmas this year. And may this mystery bring you to your knees and draw you into the arms of a loving God. Do not be afraid, for this is good news of great joy to you and to all people. Let's pray. Loving God, as we stand amongst the risen Christ this morning, we create space in our hearts for you to interrupt us to interrupt us from the patterns of our life that we know are hurting us, to interrupt us from the stiff-necked, stone-hearted response that we often have when we know that your spirit is calling. Lord, I pray that you would in some way bypass all of our defence mechanisms 
and that you would punch us in the heart this morning so that we might fall to our knees in wonder, in amazement, in awe of your love and grace and goodness that you long to pour in our hearts this morning. God, we celebrate this moment of Advent, this moment of waiting, waiting for you to come and to dwell within us again. When you move from the infinite of time and space to the particularity of flesh and blood. When being born like a star, you compress yourself into something as small and fragile and earthy as a human body that breathes and weeps and bleeds. A body just like ours. That you know, God, what it is to be us from the inside out. So God, we thank you for your divine interruptions, for the way that they expand our vision and our imagination and draw us so powerfully and wonderfully towards you. May the act of your indwelling presence through Jesus ricochet throughout all of creation. God, this morning we fall on our knees in gratitude and in wonder at the sheer audacity and generosity of this act that changes everything, everything about our past and everything about our future. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.